with best-selling books and products. Cafes so good they impact on the house prices around them. Their own farm cooking courses and the now legendary morning swim David and Steve Flynn have built an empire from trying to help people eat better in order to be happier. But what do we really know about the journey that went before all this? How close did they come to being professional golfers? Every business has a rocky period and the happy pair is no exception, as you're about to hear. It is the big interview from Irishman Abroad with me, Jarlath Regan. Every Sunday for the last eight years, we've been pumping out the best interviews with the biggest names in Irish life. The people that have gone abroad and made it big, or gone abroad and come home and made it big. People that haven't made it big, but have a hell of a story to tell. This is a crowdfunded podcast supported by you. The people that can support us, head over to patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad. And this day, next week, I'll be in Cove with my co-host and legend, Sonia O'Sullivan, for the Cove 10-mile road race. I hope you will join us. Come down for the drive, cheer people on, or if you're already registered, I'll see you there. It's the Cove 10-mile road race in aid of Breakthrough Cancer Research and Ballymore Cove Athletics Club and their junior facility. So you'll be helping the future of Irish athletes by coming down and supporting this great race. It's the Cove 10-mile road race. It's on this day next week, and I hope to see you there. I'm so happy that we finally had the chance to sit down with Dave and Steve. They have a new book, as ever, a new book in the wings, waiting, ready to go. The Veg Box, 10 Vegetables, 10 Ways. I'll tell you more about that after the interview. But sit back and relax and enjoy it. It's the Happy Pair episode of An Irish Man Abroad. That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! Dave and Steve Flynn, it is a pleasure to have you back on the Irishman Abroad. Of course, you were here with Sonia O'Sullivan for the Irishman Running Abroad not too long ago, where we were just talking about food. But today I did want to talk about you, because I think your story has been told, and you probably know this, that there's the website about the happy pair version of the story that gets told over and over again. And you get asked it again and again. You get asked to package it up. And, you know, say it to Ryan Tuberty in 15 minutes. But there's obviously a bigger story here with the two of you and your lives. And I'd love to talk to you about it today. Are you happy enough to do that? Love to. What, a, lovely great, what a great invitation. That's lovely. Because as you said, you kind of uh, you can become a parrot to some degree in that, you know, you're asked, this, as you said, the same questions and you 
you've got good at telling them in certain mm. ways, so you probably just put in that path because you know it quite well. And, and even a friend, Rich Rowley, often says, I've told my story, story so many times, I don't know if it's true or not. <laughs> not in, lost, yeah, I've lost kind of context to the whole thing. But completely, the details then become kind of, this is the, the poem that I tell when people ask about yeah. that thing. But like, I'll tell you, I'll, I always like to give a bit of myself first because I hate when an interview is just someone peppering somebody with questions. But my own situation, lads, is that I am not in a good place today. Like today is not a good day for me. I'm just not feeling it. I've sore throat, bit of a headache, had to go and do this track session that Sonia <laughs> told me I had to go and do, drag myself down there. And I have to say that it is on those days that I find sticking to a plant based diet the biggest pain in the hole. <laughs> I'll be totally honest. And I'm sure you meet this. So before we get to your story, do you, do you get people coming to you and going, yeah, it's all it's all great on certain days when you're feeling very resourceful and the, the blender's working, the, the, the fridge is full. But then there are days like I'm having today where it's just like this. This is the last thing I need. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can relate to it. And I know other people struggle with the exact same thing. And Do you struggle with the same no, thing, David? No, I definitely don't because the easy choice for us is like, like I live 10 doors down from our, the shop that we started, the spiritual home of the happy pair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I do. Well, that's, that's what it is to me anyway. But I live 10 doors down from it. So like it's easy. It's easier for me to just eat there or get food from there than it is to do elsewhere. So mm. I'm in a very different position than most people. I'm very fortunate um, so on those days when I feel crap, like I can just go down there and get porridge or just get lunch there or get stuff for dinner. So the plant based bit we've created, um, we're all the product of we are each one of us is the product of the environment with which we live in. And we've certainly managed to probably unbeknownst and completely unconsciously, we've created a perfect environment to eat plant based foods for us because we walked into the shop and it's honestly easier to do that than go anywhere mm. else. And it's mm. funny how kind of a, the, the shop evolves based on what you're interested in. Like back almost two years ago, we started a sourdough bakery because I was obsessed with it and I kind of really wanted to have access to really, really good bread. So there's, you know, fresh organic sourdough bread or say you're feeling crap like the way you are today. Go in and get an old sourdough cinnamon swirl, now a cup of coffee bit of a, a chocolate fudge brownie to finish with and woohoo, we're elected. <laughs> I mean, this is, like you say, this is the challenge that my corner shop is not a happy pair cafe and access to this stuff is obviously one of the biggest challenges and food poverty. And I'm sure you are very conscious of this side of things that to some people, it is a luxurious first world option. You must get that a lot now at this point, especially with the cost of living going where it's going. Not so much. You don't like certainly we haven't been to, like that hasn't been brought to us. But over the last kind of year, I'd say I'm a lot more aware of the kind of correlation between health and wealth that mm. kind of, you know, it's a lot cheaper to go into a, a supermarket and just buy processed foods like it really is. And and yeah. back to that, exactly which I was saying, like, we are all the product of our environment and our current food culture, like the culture which we live in in the Western world, whether you live in Ireland or England, America, Scandinavia, Germany, wherever it is, 
The current food culture is processed foods, mass manufactured processed foods that are high in fats, sugars, salts. What percentage approximately, Dave? Oh, great question, Steve. Well, actually, just to be, so, so if you walk into an average supermarket, I'd say it's about 95% of the products are really, they're not designed with your optimum health in mind. They're made by food manufacturers to make money. And obviously, mm -hmm. if your product lasts for six months or a year in a shelf, that's wonderful because you've got more chance of selling it. And the way that you make it last longer is make sure that it's got lots of fats and sugars and salts and low amounts of water and no fresh ingredients. And the likelihood of that, if you've got lots of those ingredients, the customer is going to get kind of like addicted to it and not so much addicted, but you're, you know, it's going to taste sweet. And, and even like at the moment in the first world nations, 55% of all calories are ultra processed foods, then approximately 30 to 40% are animal foods. And then you have less than 10% are whole plant foods. And it's really clear if you look to the blue zones, where typically over 95% of their diet are whole plant foods. And what are the blue zones? Blue zones, five areas on the planet where there's the most amount of centenarians. So what? fancy word for people who live over the age of 100. So it's kind of the longest living populations on in the world, really. Mm -hmm. And their diet typically 95% whole foods. You know, so, so, so much as well, I think you're, you must face into this too, is that vegan gets slapped onto every processed item now. Uh, I'm seeing all sorts of stuff that, you know, previously I would have just thought that's way too processed. And I'm only a couple of months into this, thanks to Dr. Allen. And uh, I was like, oh, Oreos. Now Oreos are on the menu because it says vegan on the side. But, you know, we've got loads of time to dig even deeper into that. And I really do want to dig into it because, it, as you say, it isn't as if the Happy Pear found a recipe and continued to produce it over and over again. One of the most... Uh, inspiring parts of the story, lads, is just how much you've changed and evolved and moved with the times and never let it stagnate. And I'm sure you're aware that that's why it continues to work. But your positivity comes through in every chat and every book. And even when I hear you doing the back and forth there, which is obviously a pillar of whatever public speaking you're doing, was that always there, though, the the positive side of you? Because there was a time, of course, when you weren't, you know, casting a sceptical eye over the way food is consumed. You were just two lads who loved their rugby, uh, chasing girls and drinking, as you as you've said in previous interviews. Yeah, totally. I think with maturity, you're at least in our own experience, we've had a lot more comfortable going a bit deeper. I think when we first started doing kind of media like such as radio interviews or TV interviews, we felt we had to live up to the name The Happy Pair and we were like two excitable bunny rabbits bouncing around the studio and we thought that's what we needed to be and we kind of lacked the maturity to actually share the deeper, more poignant, more philo philosophical sides to ourselves. So it's only we've turned 42 and I guess possibly with age you feel more comfortable accepting the different aspects to yourself. So I think... You know, there's night and day like the way there is with each of us. There's good days, there's bad days. Fortunately, we're born with the, born nature and nurture, well, which yeah, is yeah, a, highly optimistic. Yeah, and, I think, and maybe maybe it comes with being identical twins that you've always had, like, uh, you know, you've always had someone there to support you no matter what, like no yeah. matter what happened. It was like, and, and you had that security so that, you know, whatever life threw you, it was like, ah, sure, we're grand. Sure, let's just, sure, let's play a new game. Brilliant idea, Steve, right? Let's go, brilliant, you know? And it just had that, we've always had this kind of um, 
carefree optimism which we've been blessed with and i don't know if it's been identical twins or where it's come from but we're very grateful that we have it it has to be it has to be partially your parents too because i think everyone listening to this will know a set of twins who do not get on in that way (laughs) (laughs) and if anything the suggestion of let's play this game could be met with that's the kind of bullshit that drives me mad about you <laughs> two two twins that just don't get on did was there ever even a window of time where the two of you in your younger years did not see eye to eye or has it just always been this you know uh, bed of roses like it just doesn't seem possible yeah, when we were younger, we used to beat the head off each other, really. Thank <laughs> <Not laughs> God that for that. Say the last, I'd say the last time we had a physical fight was we were 12. Okay. And I remember, like, at that stage, we could do a lot of damage to one another. So I think there was this un, un kind of unverbalized kind of agreement that, okay, maybe we shouldn't thump the head off this one another. Because we were just, like, hurting ourselves. So 12 was the last time we had a physical fight. So after that, you kind of obviously you've got times where you kind of have disagreements but maybe in that stage we realized within our own relationship that you know even when you felt like that it was like okay well just go off and you know go go for a run or something and Mm. it'll pass and do you remember what that fight was over probably over like 20p or something like it was something like stupid like i remember it was 20p and steven like just kind of bashed me around a bit and uh <laughs> but we were both left with kind of just you know hurt and kind of like thing. like and you both realized that you were hurting yourself like really there was that kind of knowledge that you're hurting yourself like and maybe that's been an identical twin maybe i don't know why the hell but that was what we felt anyway and there's been this unverbalized agreement that well no matter how much you're you know there's agree there's this agreement you can always just kind of breathe it out like just go go for a run, swim the sea, and then sure you're about left sitting beside one another again, going, right, what are we doing now? Hmm. Or, I'm sorry, yeah, I'm sorry too. Yeah, <laughs> and I think, you know, we're still naturally highly competitive, even like, you know, as mature as we get, but still, if we're out for a run, we're both kind I'm of... I'm not. You you know, you're, you're not, okay, fair enough. Well, there you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's that competitive side is obviously feeds into business. Like, you know, the side, I heard this mentioned in an independent interview with you guys that... You, you know, they often say uh, there's this side to the guys and then there's these canny businessmen in there as well, which, you know, I don't regard as a criticism as all, at all. I mean, it is your success is is your business. But when did you first start showing an entrepreneurial spirit? Because that is not, again, something that everybody's blessed with. Not everybody has the lemonade stand outside the house. Were you those guys? Yeah, yeah total chances. In school, Steve used to sell fake IDs. Um, <laughs> so yeah. we used to la- like, and another friend used to laminate them. Used to make DIT student cards. Yeah, this is when we were like fourteen or something. How much? And what, then, was, what was the going rate? I think it was only five or like five pounds. This is back when it was pounds. Then we used to sell Christmas. Then trees. we used to from sixteen. We used to sell Christmas trees in the garden. We we went up and bought a whole lot of Christmas trees, and then used to call up mum and dad's friends and call to all the neighbours. And we would have done that 16, 17 and 18, you know, selling trees and, and, and probably we just kept what selling was the trees. Buzz? Like, what was the buzz then? Because we know that like Happy Pear, I think, latched on to the idea that people don't just want their coffee and food from a thing. They want their thing 
to mean something. When did you kind of cotton on to, or was it at that time just very surface? You need a tree? Here's a tree. I think back then it was more about the, the crack of like the horse trade and it was getting over yourself because as a 16, 17 and 18 year old, you're quite a self-conscious kind of thing. And I remember mom would have given us the we challenge. Used to, remember we used to have a paper route. We used to hate Yeah, we used to deliver papers. That would have been way back. But we had loads of jobs that so we got fired from most of them. Like we were honestly quite unemployable. Like we were fired from the golf club <laughs> what, and the What were you, what were you fired job. for? Yeah. The, and the pub so, and so the, we worked we worked in the, one, the, the one that I remember clearly was we worked our first job was in the beach house which is down the road I here in Grace oh we got fired from all our jobs no, like we, probably no we weren't that bad I think you're, you're <laughs> misconstruing us or whatever the word is but anyway we got fired from the um, our job in the beach house largely because we forgot to show up to work you know we were kind of too much out, I remember we were at that stage we were kind of obsessed with golf and we were out playing golf and I go oh shit I forgot to show up for work Ah, well, sure. You know, <laughs> yeah. I guess we we were kind of a bit caught up in our own little bubble. And then we had a job in Lachlanstown Hospital and Dave got the job and he used to go in and do the night tea. So it was going around kind of serving tea to the patients. And if they wanted a bit of toast, you'd serve them a bit of toast. And Dave could only do Monday. So he said, Steve, you do Wednesday. I'll just show you how to do it. And you just go in and do it. And they want mine. Sure, as long as it's being done, it's fine. And you just say you're David. So I said, OK, great. And I went <laughs> so to you, you, you fully Sweet Valley hide this. You You pretended to be the other. Yeah, absolutely. And didn't let them know. And uh, we did it for a number of months. And then one day the boss was in there and I said, sure, surely, you know, there's two of us at this stage. And she said no. And she kind of flipped and we kind of got fired. For and I couldn't understand why. So, you know, um, this is this is like a stuff that I, again, I'd never heard before. But I also hadn't heard in preparation for this about and I'm sure I don't know if I've heard I heard about it, but I haven't heard any detail of it, that at some point along the way, your mom says you two are going to need to wise up and live separate lives. Did that conversation take place? Like, Is this divorce period where the two of you go your separate ways a real thing or just a metaphorical thing that's kind of come up in different chats that you've done? I think it's like, like, like if you can imagine it, like we grew up where there's two of you and you look the same and everyone goes, which one are you? That was your name. Like, which, which one are you? That was your name. Or Flynn Twin or which one are you? That was your kind of first name, really. And you, you went to the same school, you sat beside one and you played the same sports, you the same friends. So you like really were dependent on one another, like really almost like where it's slightly um, unhealthy, dependent on one another. Mm. That like social situations you'd, you just, you were an act. There was two years. So I remember going to college. I, we both wanted to do commerce and UCD and I didn't get enough points. And Stephen did. So he went off and did that. And that was the first time we had both, like, like I think it was at 16 when, we, when I went to, mom and dad sent us to French college for a couple of months where we went to France to learn French. And we were both in separate boarding schools. And that was the first time we'd probably ever spent a night apart. Wow. Like I'd say it was 16. And then, then going to college like that was that really was like a, a huge separation because so you had as, to go. So I'm sorry to jump in there because like, you, you know, you passed over it, but you both went for the same course. You both studied side by side in the same classroom. One gets more points than the other. Is that as the as the movie would depict it? Both of you opening your envelope from the CAO and realizing, uh, well, it looks like this is it. 
Looks like Dave didn't do as well. No, yeah. I, I think we no, kind of. I don't, I don't think either of us really cared because it was really just about at that stage being a hot blooded seventeen or eighteen year old. It was really the excitement of not being in an all boys school and being in environments where there was girls. That was <laughs> what it was. That was the real. That was the kind of shift of focus. Yeah, the father Jack that, comes out. It kind of yeah, like there was that element, and that's that's really we were in that phase of life, and and uh, also there was an inherent kind of fear that you were going to have to learn how to go your own way, you know, mm. to go with that famous song, go your own. Whatever. But but it was almost like your one of your arms were cut off, really, because you had this your whole life you had this identity as a twin, and now I remember I was in DIT. This is David here. I was in DIT in Angel Street, and I remember going in there and kind of going, "Who am I? Like, who the hell is David? Who is one person like?" And it was it was a really challenging kind of time to figure out who's who am I independent to Steve. And that whole period, there was definitely after you know there was those four years of college, and then after that we both went away. Where Steve genuinely said to me, said um, after he finished college, he says, "Right, I'm going away traveling." I'm getting a one-way ticket to Canada. I'm not coming back till I'm happy, and you're not coming with me, Dave. Wow. And that was that was it. And that's what he said. And 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 I went off to South Africa to go be. A, I thought I wanted to be a golf pro. And we both went away separately. And that how, was really how did you take that though? I mean, like I know that it's it's a funny one to say out loud, but like, I mean, first of all, I can't get over what it must be like to lose your wingman when, especially when. You know, that was how you navigated new settings. But then for your wingman to go, I'm going away until I'm happy. Like that implies that he wasn't happy as is. Like I'm maybe hunting for something here that isn't there, but that can't have been easy. You know, definitely not easy because if you can like you didn't like neither of us really would have felt comfortable as an individual. You know, like it really wasn't, it was just so easy with two because everywhere you go, people go, oh, you guys look a lot. Like everywhere yeah. you go was easy because you were a pack and you always attracted other people. Like everywhere you went, and you, almost you were a we. Like it was, and you almost didn't like going through the teenage years. You didn't really need your friends that much because you had each other. You weren't that bothered going out socializing except kind of really to meet even, even though we were, even though we had loads of friends. But it was it was it was just so easy because there was two of you. But then as one, you really felt like you were this little twig in the wind, mm. this little like you just felt exposed, which you'd never been before because you always had the other person literally with his back behind you, you know, ready to, the Perry is attacking the world back to back. And I think part of the reason why we decided to go traveling was just almost a dissatisfaction that there has to be more to life, that I kind of feel an inherent kind of restlessness that I'm not really feeling honest to myself, like like congruent, feeling a little misaligned. And we we had definitely gone down that road of, you know, we were, playing semi-pro rugby. We were doing modeling because it was good to meet girls. We were both off like two and two in golf or whatever, a handicap. So we were like, we were good in the achievement stuff. We used to, you know, we were, we were very externally focused. We had studied business and, but there was still an inherent kind of going, geez, there must be more to life. Like this is, you know, I'm going through the phases. I went to school. I'm good at sport. I'm, I went to college. I've got a degree. And now next it's get a job and get married and get a house. And it's like, there must be more to life. And both of us kind of like inherently had 
started going down, like exploring what else life had an offer. And Steve well, went away traveling and that was the start of it. Let me ask you about the before we look at Steve's travels, but like the golf side of things, like playing off too. Again, it's something I haven't heard either of you talk about, but that is not easy. I mean, some people are dreaming right now of playing off too, but you were there and there was a realistic shout that you could go pro. Why was South Africa the place to go? Uh, it was winter in Ireland, and uh, it's really hard to practice here in winter if you want, if you want to take something serious because it's just so cold and wet, and your hands get so cold. So, yeah. so South Africa was an easy choice. We'd been there before, so I thought, okay, I'm going to get a one-way ticket to South Africa. I joined Stellenbosch Golf Club, and I spent a few months practicing. And, and, and what, like, were how how in that were you, like? Uh, you know, when you say you're both of this inherent sense, there's got to be more than this. Finding yourself trying to get a tiny white ball into a tiny little hole couldn't be less, I guess, metaphysical or soulfully nourishing. <laughs> In so many ways, it's a nonsensical game designed to get men away from their wives. <laughs> That's what Jerry Seinfeld called it. And yet you're like, I'm not happy. I'll go to South Africa and see if I can get so good at this that I can find happiness through it. Was that the thinking? Uh, I guess retrospectively, it would have been more. It probably wouldn't have been that profound or that deep. It probably would have just been. I think there was a friend who he he was he was he was better than me, and he wanted to go there originally. And the pair of us were going to go together. And I think right. he, he at the end he backed out. So I was going by myself. And it was really just the journey of Steve was going away. So I needed to go somewhere. There was no way I was staying at home by myself. So it was like, okay, I'm going to South Africa. I know I'm good at golf. I'm curious to see, is this my path? Like what is, what lies ahead? So it was definitely a nice opportunity that um, to go out there and practice. And, and exactly as you said, like very quickly, I realized that it was lonely. Like it was really mm. fucking lonely. Hitting a white ball, even in the sun in in South Africa, like very quickly I realized, geez, this is crap. I fucking hate like just not not so much hate it, but after a couple of months I remember just going, right, I've had enough. And I really never played I haven't really played I'd say I've played golf five times since then. Oh my Maybe god. So literally clubs into the lake. I'm out of here. Not quite into the lake, because I did bring them back with me, I think. Yeah. But um, I literally, I went away then traveling. I went off just on a trip and meeting people and went on a couple of adventures and then um, never looked back to golf. Like, I realized golf wasn't what I was looking for. But at the time, there was there was, um, <clears throat> there was was lots of internal stuff happening. Like, we, as we said, we kind of left as these meatheads. And I use that word, like, we were jocks. We were meat and two veg, and we were loads of pints and burgers and chips, and we were... Quite macho style. Yeah, it was kind of, of for somebody who doesn't know what jocks mean. Yeah, quite a macho <laughs> kind of. Like, that was the kind of stereotype we wear, and we used to wear Ralph Lauren shirts, and we had short back, short hair, you know, short back and sides hair, and we used to wear Nike Air Max, and we were very kind of um, we were a stereotype. And then we went away traveling, and once again, like both of us were completely as individuals. We were mm. independent of our own social upbringing. And I remember straight away, I didn't feel like buying meat. I didn't feel like cooking meat. I don't know what was going on. And then I started getting curious and reading up about health. And this kind of journey unfolded that, and, and I didn't know, like I almost felt like it was just unfolding rather than I was the lead within it. And suddenly 
I was now eating veg, like I was eating a vegetarian diet and a vegan diet and I didn't feel like drinking. And then I was much more curious about spirituality. And then I was suddenly found myself in South and Central America and I was over curious about farms and farming and community and all these type of things. These little adventures were ensuing really over a couple of years. And I think part of the goal of the trip was to kind of put each of us separately in in unique situations where we kind of see how we respond to them almost like kind of sleeping rough hitchhiking from california to texas and then hitchhiking right up the middle of kind of the what the midwest of america and trying to again sleeping rough and hitchhiking yeah. from and just mm. seeing like you know how you respond to these putting alien your, situations and kind of putting yourself in the trust of life yeah I, th- I think that was it putting yourself in the trust of life like i remember being in Mexico, down in the bottom, or maybe it was Guatemala, and I remember hitchhiking via trucks from there all the way up to Canada to meet Stephen. So it was all the way up through Central America, all the way across American trucks, and then meeting Steve, and then we managed to, we went and stayed in these yurts and slept rough all across Boston. And, you know, it was a proper, like, adventure. Yeah. And then, um, and you didn't have social media, so you didn't necessarily have to live up to what your friends, you, you know, you kind of checked your email once every few weeks, you know that way your hotmail, your hotmail account, <laughs> yeah. and and then I remember, at, like towards the end of our adventures, I remember Dad had said that he had been. This is twenty years ago. So this is two thousand and one. Dad had said he he had gone to see this fella called Tony Robbins, who was a motivational guy, and he said, "Lads, it was brilliant. It was fantastic." He said, "If you get your, if you can get yourself to New York, I'll pay for you to go to this seminar." So we we ended up finding should be nothing else going on. So we found our way to New York. You know, he gave us a few months in advance. We found our way to New York and we did this Tony Robbins seminar and it was really fun. It was, okay. it was incredible. Well, like, and it was... Dad, wait, wait, wait. Uh, yeah, no, me, I, I need me, to hear this. <laughs> I want to hear this story, right? Before you go on, though, I need to take a break. We're, we're okay. going to continue the conversation over on patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad. It takes hours and hours and hours and hours and hours to prepare, research, create and produce this podcast. It is crowdfunded. It's only created by the supporters of the show. That's you. If you can afford to do that, you can pay for the people that can't afford to do that. And we get to continue making the show weekly. Come over to patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad and hear the rest of my conversation with Dave and Steve Flynn, the happy pair. Thanks so much for the first half of the chat, lads. We'll get straight back to it. Drums, please. Oh, what a cliffhanger. What a cliffhanger to end it on. Uh, the second half of this interview goes all sorts of different directions. And as we say, we, we really bring it up to the present day and the tipping point that changed everything from them starting the shop and it being populated by old people. And then something magical takes place. It's a really fun chat, as you can tell from the first half of it. I just love chatting to these boys. And, you know, there's something extraordinary about what they've done. No question, this next book, The Happy Pair, The Veg Box, 10 Vegetables, 10 Ways, will be a staple on your bookshelf. Basically, as it says, it's 10 vegetables, 10 different ways. Cooking vegetables easier and tastier than ever before. I can testify to that. I've got the books and uh, I'm getting a preview copy of this one uh, from Carrots that make up burgers, roasted carrot 
and chewy flapjacks with carrot and pistachio. These boys are turning carrots and courgettes and spinach into absolute deliciousness. And this book that's on the way that you can pre-order now on Amazon or from your local bookstore. I always say to support your local bookstore. So go and pre-order it down there. Make sure you get it before everybody else. It's coming out on June 9th. So you'll be the first one in there to get it. It's called The Veg Box. A huge thanks again to The Happy Pair. And come on over and hear the rest of this chat on patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad don't miss a minute we give our supporters everything every episode that's ever been made of this show going back to Bob Geldof and Sharon Horgan to uh, Donald Skeen to Melda May you'll get everything you get, I just open the doors and you get access to the lot including as I say XL episodes every Sunday Tuesday and Friday with Mary and Sonia myself it really is a decent bit of value and if you can't afford it that's totally fine keep enjoying the free stuff here if you can't afford it you're paying for the people that can't and you're supporting our show to keep going into the future but that's it that's it for the first half Brian Connolly's on Sound Team and Mikey Make It All Possible and hopefully I'll see you over there on Patreon for the second half <laughs>